The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to Scorebox. What are we, Thursday morning? I've got Arabi Ligamedi to my left. I've got Arjun Kapal to my right. And I've got my headlines in front of me, so why don't I give you those? Right, okay, a blowout quarter for NVIDIA shares, jumping in extended trade. This after the chipmaker absolutely smashed earnings estimates and delivered upbeat guidance. CEO Jensen Huang telling investors, oh, it's just the beginning. Our demand is tremendous. We are significantly expanding our production capacity. Supply will substantially increase for the rest of this year and next year. NVIDIA has been preparing for this for over two decades. Uh, U.S. equities, uh, especially those tech stocks, have got a lift as Treasury yields ease back. Uh, investors eyeing the start of today's Jackson Hole Symposium for clues into the Fed's monetary policy pathway. Now, a private plane allegedly carrying Wagner Group chief Yegevni Prigozhin crashes outside of Moscow, killing 10 people and leaving more questions than answers around the fate of the Russian mercenary leader who challenged Putin in an aborted coup attempt. In the U.S., the GOP candidates come out swinging, facing off in Wisconsin for the Republican Party's first debate as frontrunner and former President Donald Trump goes it alone. I'm saying, why am I doing it? And I'm going to have eight people, ten people, whoever made the debate. I don't know how many it is, but I'm going to have all these people screaming at me, shouting questions at me, all of which I love answering, I love doing, but it doesn't make sense to do them. So uh, I've taken a pass. Welcome to the show. Do you know, I was reading those headlines and, and I, I came over all carpenters, which is before the era of those two youngsters on the set as well. But uh, we're, we're, we're Jensen Huang saying, look, this is just the beginning. I, I got all carpenters like, and I had, I had Karen Carpenter in my head saying, we've only just begun. Because that's what NVIDIA's story appears to be. They're saying, look, you ain't seen nothing yet. There you go. There's another song uh, from my youth as well. So shares of NVIDIA popped in extended trade after the chipmaker reported a blockbuster second quarter. Sales from the company's data centers grew 171%. 171% on an annual basis uh, to over $10.3 billion. Now, this was fueled by, you, you know the next sentence, strong demand for AI-related chips. Overall, revenue also beat expectations, doubling on the year, doubling on the year, to $13.5 billion and up 88% on the quarter. This is one of those occasions where the numbers are worth going through in a minute fashion because they're enormous. I'll ask Arjun in a minute about the margins. They were extraordinary as well. But the biggest surprise came from the company's guidance for the current quarter. NVIDIA is forecasting a $16 billion set of revenue, only a little less than second quarter and third quarter and fourth quarter combined from last year. How about that? The company said... 
It will all uh, also buy back $25 billion worth of shares. Hang on a second. You've got a young technology company, or certainly young. You've got a technology company at its peak of powers to the upside, buying back shares. That's normally what they do when they start sagging. I mean, that's just rewriting the rule book a little bit, I would suggest as well. So this is what the rest of the chip sector did in its wake. I mean, I think the, the, the idea here is that they can all benefit from slices of the pie behind NVIDIA. But whether that remains to be the case or not, whether the catch-up is just going to be very tricky. And by the time they do catch up, of course, there's going to be a commoditized battle over CPU chips or GPU chips, I beg your pardon. Then that's going to be very interesting. Should we have a look at some of the Asian chip makers as well? Uh, SK Hynix, uh, one of the best there, up 4.4%. I do want to see time on Semiconductor because that is the fab of fabs, isn't it? Um, I'm not saying it's fab as in fabulous. I'm saying it's fab as in fabrication. You know what I'm talking about. 2% higher. Anyway, speaking on the earnings call, the CEO, Jason Huang, said NVIDIA has been working hard to meet soaring demand. Our demand is tremendous. We are significantly expanding our production capacity. Supply will substantially increase for the rest of this year and next year. NVIDIA has been preparing for this for over two decades. We're seeing two simultaneous platform shifts at the same time. One is accelerated computing, and the reason for that is because it's the most cost-effective, most energy-effective, and the most performant way of doing computing now. Well, as I mentioned, I've got, oh, got youth and beauty either side of me. Oh, no, hang on. It's Arabella and I was a bit worried. Morning, chaps. Oh, take it. Morning. Oh, take it. Still the case. How are you, lads? Yeah, good, thank you. Good, good. Got to be on my game with you two whippersnappers today, haven't I? No, it's lovely to see you both. Karen's on her well-deserved holiday, so yep. uh, you're going to be manning the fort of that, well, manning that seat for a while. Um, not wearing the high heels, I noticed. Uh, Arj, how are you? I'm good, Steve. Good, good. Yeah. Now, look, I don't know if either of you are aware of Backman Turner Overdrive or Karen Carpenter. No. Karen Carpenter a little bit. Well, no. the, the former, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. Yeah, know the song? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The, yes. the, 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 well, the, the latter, that was. The, the former, of course, is We've Only Just Begun. You must, yeah. yeah. That yeah. song yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. just the yeah. okay. yeah. We're all on the yeah. same yeah. page. <laughs> the point is here, Arj, that um, this is what NVIDIA is saying. My, my, my point here is I, I, I am very sceptical of the claims of most companies that come here about what they can deliver in terms of profit. Revenue that anyone can sell stuff, they should be able to sell stuff, yeah. but making money from it and good margin, that's the difference. Is NVIDIA stunningly rare in this regard that actually not only is it delivering, but it's delivering way better than expected? I mentioned the buyback there as well. That is extraordinary at this stage of the cycle for this company. It, it really is. I think there's a number of factors that have sort of come into play to make this NVIDIA story happen. There's been this huge sort of shift in thinking. ChatGPT really woke the world up to this idea of generative AI. And now you've seen companies pile in uh, into developing these so-called large language models, which are huge data sets that things like ChatGPT are uh, built on. And obviously to do that, you need the hardware. And that is in the forms of these large data centers powered at this point by NVIDIA's graphics processing unit or GPU chips. Um, so that's what's happened. On top of that, you've got that massive demand that's been almost pulled forward to some extent and NVIDIA trying to catch up with that demand. So there are to some extent supply constraints, not massive shortages that can't be met, but certainly a need for, for uh, NVIDIA's manufacturer, that is TSMC, you mentioned, Steve, to ramp up production. And so what you're getting here is this nice sweet spot of this kind of 
a slight shortage in the chips and Nvidia able to command margins of around 70%. And that's was an stunning. improvement. Yeah. That's an improvement. It was like a six handle previously, it's a seven yeah. handle now. Uh, and so, so all of those factors are coming together to deliver what a pretty stunning set of earnings. I've yeah, not seen right. anything like this. So I, I would argue that it was a moderate reaction on the share price compared to what it could have been as well. I'm mean, up six I to eight percent. Yeah, I thought it would so, have been bigger. So how much of it's in the price? How much of it actually satiated the people who were long and just thought, I've had a good run. I'll yeah. get out of this now. Yeah. Let's ask a few questions to William DeGale, who is a portfolio manager at Blue Box Asset Management UK. William, you've heard uh, Arjun talking there as well. Just give us your impression uh, and insight into these numbers. Nice to see you today, sir. Hi, good morning. So I think the supply constraint is is interesting, uh, and that's the point where you get surprised potentially because they are extremely supply constrained. Uh, TSMC manufactures all their chips for them, and there's a limit to how much the capacity they can add or switch from other producers. But what's important to think about this is actually a mixed shift rather than the the new uh, uh, capacity. Traditionally, they've sold graphics chips to you know PC gamers. Maybe a credit-sized card bit of, of silicon would produce, let's say, twenty graphics chips. Might sell for two hundred dollars each once they're packaged up. That same chunk of silicon, the size of a credit card, might only make four or six uh, uh, artificial intelligence chips. But once they're packaged up, they might sell for thirty thousand dollars each. So you've got well over an order of magnitude increase in the revenue available from that little bit of silicon. Um, at almost identical production cost. So it doesn't cost much more to make an AI chip of a certain area than it does to make the graphic chips of that area. So all that upside is, is basically profit. And that's why the margins are shooting up. The revenue can grow at an extraordinary rate. Whereas actually unit volumes, I suspect, if they gave us unit volumes, would probably be falling because they're selling fewer, but much bigger and far more valuable chips. So essentially giving up some of the graphics business which is a good business, but it's it's not as good as the AI side in order to take the AI. And that that allows these extraordinary changes in revenue and profitability. And, and the cash flow coming out as a result is absolutely staggering. And, and what does a company like NVIDIA do with that cash? Because it doesn't have to invest it in capacity because it doesn't own the capacity. It rents the capacity from TSMC effectively. So once they've paid the engineers and designers, uh, anything else that's left over is just accumulating in a bank. And that's why they need to do the buybacks because what else do you do with the money, really? Yeah, I suppose that buyback then makes sense. Good morning, good morning, William. So the expectations here, to some extent, uh, you've, you've even noted, are, are, are pretty modest in, in some respects and perhaps behind the curve a little bit, considering how uh, things have gone actually over the past couple of quarters, actually, where everything has been set. They've put out projections in NVIDIA themselves and then always beating those projections. I mean, uh, is this the worst nightmare for valuations? Because we look at that stock price and we think 500 um, is, is currently where it is. Levels we haven't seen in, in, in quite some time or ever for this stock. Does this make it difficult from a valuation's point of view? Because the, the valuation, the absolute stock price is completely irrelevant. Uh, taking a multiple of backward-looking sales and backward-looking earnings is, in this case, completely irrelevant because the business model is changing dramatically with this massive increase in margins as you have a mix shift to much more profitable products. What you need to do is take a forward multiple. And I haven't looked to see what it is today, but you know, a few days ago, it was trading at around 42 times next year's earnings. And that's pretty much exactly where it's been for the last three years. So this company is trading exactly where you'd expect it to be. The reason it's up so much this year is because those forecast earnings have gone through the roof. Um, and that's exactly what you want to see. That's, that's, that's entirely reasonable. You don't value a company like this looking backwards. You look at the year that's coming up 
on that basis, this company is precisely at the valuation you would expect. It doesn't mean to say it's cheap, but I'd be worried if it was cheap. This is the best position company in the world. Um, again, it won't last forever. You know, none of these things ever last forever. But on the trajectory we are at the moment, the valuation it's at seems to me to be, you know, reassuringly expensive, as it were. I, I don't have a problem with the valuation of this company at this moment. William, it's uh, Arjun here. I wanted to talk to you a bit about uh, the new products on the horizon for, for NVIDIA. They talked a lot about the Grasshopper chip, about the L40S. As you look uh, at those new products being released, but also uh, the competitive landscape increasing over the coming quarters with AMD's new chip uh, on the horizon as well. How defendable at this point is NVIDIA's moat that they've built in this uh, particular segment of, of AI chips? Well, I think if you look to the chips on their own, um, they've got a reasonable moat. So that they are at least a few months, maybe six months, something of that sort, ahead of the competition. So they have got the best chips for these these products and the chips that are most in demand from customers. But much more important is the um, the CUDA operating system, which people use to, to set this stuff up. And, and once you're tied into using that, you are tied into using NVIDIA as well. So, and, and to move away from that would be very difficult uh, and require a big investment of time and effort and risk for companies. So NVIDIA for a moment has got a bit of a lock on this market. Um, uh, and even the companies that are building their own, so you know some of the the, the big data center companies that are, 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 are designing and having built for them their own AI chips, but those are only for very specific niche applications within those data centers where those um, you know Google and so on feel feel that that would add, give them an edge. Uh, and even they are building or buying huge amounts of Nvidia chips as well, because in the end that is the default option currently. So I think. For now, NVIDIA's position is very, very strong indeed, but it pulls through a lot of demand for other chips as well, because you don't just have this, this graphics card sitting on its own in the middle of an empty data center. You have boxes around it and wires around it and other chips supporting it. You know, there's lots of power management um, integrated circuits, PMIX, around uh, an AI chip just providing you know the steady requirements of power that it needs for different circumstances. You've got all the the, the, the connectivity between the different devices. You've got core processors beside it. So there's a lot of other stuff that's being sold as well. It's just NVIDIA is the headline. NVIDIA is, has got the best visibility. NVIDIA is the best position, but it's best visibility for what's going on here. Um, so it's, it, it's the key company, but there's a lot of other stuff that will move with it. As we look at potential headwinds, I mean, how underappreciated at this point is the China risk? There was an interesting moment in the call uh, where the CFO said over the long term, uh, any further restrictions on exports of chips to China uh, will result in a permanent loss of opportunity for the US, uh, the CFO said. But of course, 20 to 25 percent of, of data center sales are coming from China for NVIDIA. And we know that the geopolitics continues uh, to ramp up in terms of export restrictions, in terms of, in terms of this tech battle between the US and China. Is this an underappreciated risk right now uh, for the NVIDIA story? Well, I think everyone's pretty aware of it, so I, I don't think it's underappreciated. Um, uh, the massive geopolitical tensions here between the US and China, and and it's it's quite difficult to work out what the result of any action would be because it, it, chips can find their way around the edges to places where they're officially not meant to go. You've got the risk of of, of chips being produced in China, but that's it's very difficult for them to do because they don't really have the equipment the, uh, to to produce these high end chips. Uh, and they're having difficulty getting them because the US is refusing to, to allow them to be sold there. 
Um, but you have sort of a shadow network of semiconductor fabs apparently being built by Huawei around China. But you know what what level what what capabilities do those fabs actually have? Um, and whenever you have display, if 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 one route through is blocked, in uh, but the demand remains there, that demand will somehow pull supply around the, around the edges. Um, so it's it's very complicated. I'm not sure it's anyone is particularly clear of what the results would be, but it is definite that China is trying to buy an awful lot of chips from Nvidia, as are other places. Uh, whether they're getting what they want, I don't know. But that an element of of the upside is presumably coming from that. Final question for me, William, and it's not about Nvidia. Um, clearly, this isn't a pretender. This is the real McCoy when it comes to AI as well. But I see so many companies trying to jump on the bandwagon with AI. What do you think about the lot, uh, the valuations of, of the rest rather than uh, NVIDIA as well? Does it give you great concerns that a lot of companies, they're saying we're going to do AI rather than are actually doing AI, and that's creating valuation disparity between reality uh, and hope? Well, I'd very seldom want to be investing in the company that's doing the AI anyway, because that's the company that's spending the money. That's not the company that's making the money. So I would always focus on the companies that are supplying the, the enabling companies that that are making that AI experiment possible. Um, so it's, you you never want to invest in the company that's doing the disrupting, that's that's trying out the exciting new technology and turning industry upside down because none of them ever make any money, but they spend vast amounts of money. And what you've got to do is own the companies where that money is being spent. At the moment, Nvidia is the obvious one, but there are plenty of other ones as well. So. Most of the money on AI at the moment is probably being wasted, poured down the drain, but it's being poured down the drain straight into the, as it were, the mouths of our companies, the companies that are supplying the kit. In the long run, businesses will find productive uses for this stuff. And there's plenty of AI in productive use all around us at the moment. It's not so much generative AI, but but other approaches. And it's making our lives better and richer and more fulfilled. But the the stuff that's going on at the moment, m most of it, you know, is a science experiment, and and most of those science experiments won't in the end work. But they cost a lot of money, and that money is being spent on computing power. And the companies that we own in our fund, the Blue Box, own you know, sell them the computing power. And that's great. William says lots of very interesting things. I liked your, uh, your the irrelevance of the previous sales figures. I like what else are they supposed to do with their money? And I particularly liked it's a big science experience for many. So thank you very much indeed for that, William. Thanks for getting up moderately early. You're in Geneva, so not as early as us. Uh, William DeGale, Portfolio Manager at Blue Box Asset Management UK. Thank you, sir. Uh, and just to say, for more on what to expect from NVIDIA after its blockbuster second quarter, uh, you can check out cnbc.com. Is that you or is that someone else? That's not me. Oh. Yeah. Oh, who's that? Kiff Levering, is it? I can't One of our that. colleagues in the US. Are they as good was, as you? He's very good. He's very, very good. Go on, you can say it. Not, oh, not he's as very, good, very good. Yeah. I like Kiff. Pretty good, but we'll not as good. He's very good. Close but no cigar? No, good guy. <laughs> you're too modest too modest for this business um, I think you're brilliant anyway Thank you. uh, I think you're brilliant too there you go. a lot of love going around what are you up to over yeah there? so clearly Steve I think you're brilliant too and here's oh. something that was also brilliant right it was this market <laughs> picture yesterday out of the United States one and a half percent gained out of the tech heavy Nasdaq and a real push from that has been of course the tech story as we led up to NVIDIA's numbers, which came out after the bell then yesterday. That stock, of course, going up around 8% uh, in that uh, post-market trading and extended hours trading. So that was really the catalyst to a lot of uh, impetus in the market, expecting that, of course, NVIDIA would perhaps uh, beat a lot of the expectations put forward by the market. And 
Boy, did it across the board, as we've just been discussing. When one takes a look uh, at Wall Street, then the S&P also seeing its best day since uh, the 30th of June. So those numbers really uh, doing fairly well. One and a tenth of a percent to the good then uh, was the picture for the S&P 500. Uh, first positive day in three, though. But the Nasdaq has actually moved up for three consecutive days then. So it has been positive on that front. On the Treasury Yields Fund, well, they've pulled back from multi-year highs after business activity in the United States and Europe showed signs of contraction uh, in August. It does come ahead of uh, this year's Jackson Hole Symposium. We'll be covering that with investors, hoping that signs of weakness in the United States' data could then tilt Fed Chair Jerome Powell towards uh, his dovish side when he addresses the summit then on Friday. So we're anticipating uh, some uh, look at that. Perhaps the rhetoric will still remain uh, around keeping rates higher for a little bit longer. So this is pretty much the picture then uh, when it comes to those rates then thus far. The interest rate of the most popular U.S. home loan last week shot to its highest since December 2000. So those factors will certainly be of keen interest. Dollar crosses, well, there has been some strength in the dollar, and one takes a look predominantly at sterling dollar number then. 127.22, yesterday we did see a bit of a fall as well in the pound, and that's just on the back of those UK PMI numbers, which didn't necessarily help the equation uh, at all. So to the euro then, we did see a little bit of weakness uh, following the German PMI numbers, which had hurt things uh, a little bit there when it comes to the euro. For now, though, we are seeing a little bit of strength come back to the euro 108 against the dollar then. Dollar yuan and the dollar yen picture also pretty mixed there. On to the Asian market picture then. This has actually been very buoyant. It does follow on from those NVIDIA numbers that we've just been pointing towards early this morning. Two and a quarter of a percent higher for the Hang Seng index out on that front. Shares rallying there. Uh, there has been that boost coming through from Wall Street. Soft manufacturing surveys did also revive hopes, as I've just been noting, that perhaps central banks are headed towards the end of their uh, tightening cycles then in this stage. So this is a positive picture thus far on the up for a lot of the market in Asia. U.S. futures, this is what we're anticipating then. That push from uh, the uh, NVIDIA stock and those NVIDIA numbers will perhaps help the stock just a little bit and the markets out in the United States. Thank you very much. for that, Arabile. Right, still ahead on Scorebox, the man who conspired against Vladimir Putin, Wagner's group's uh, Yevgeny Prizhodin. Uh, appears to have died in a plane crash, according to Russian officials. We'll discuss that and the international reaction. Plus, the Republican Party's presidential hopeful spa in Wisconsin. But it's Donald Trump's absence that, of course, dominates the GOP debate. And attention turning uh, to Wyoming. Uh, Jackson Hole Summit. CNBC, of course, on the ground, hearing from a number of key Fed voices. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com.
Welcome back to Scorebox. Now, Yevgeny Prigozhin, the leader of Russia's Wagner mercenary group, who orchestrated June's accepted coup, again, uh, attempted coup, should I say, against Vladimir Putin, appears to have died in a plane crash. Now, according to Russian officials, the plane carrying Prigozhin and nine other people crashed just outside of Moscow on a flight from the Russian capital to St. Petersburg. NBC's Richard Engel filed this report. It seems Russian President Vladimir Putin may have gotten his revenge. This video posted online showing a corporate jet plummeting from the sky and slamming into a field outside Moscow. The plane's registration number matches an aircraft linked to Yevgeny Prigozhin, and Russian aviation authorities say Prigozhin, a man Putin blasted as a traitor, was listed as a passenger on the aircraft, which disappeared from flight radar. President Biden saying he was not surprised, but cannot confirm Prigozhin's death. There's not much that happens with Russia with Putin, I don't know enough to know the answer. The crash is highly suspicious. The aircraft suddenly dropped like a stone, a possible indication it was shot down or that a bomb exploded on board. The timing is suspicious too, coming two months to the day after Prigozhin, the leader of the mercenary Wagner group, launched a mutiny against the Kremlin leading a column of his fighters to Moscow and threatening Putin's grip on power. Making matters worse for Putin, Prigozhin was shown surrounded by cheering Russians. Prigozhin had been driven by rage. Before the mutiny, he accused Russia's top generals of denying his mercenaries ammunition they needed to fight in Ukraine. He said the generals were jealous of Wagner's military successes. Prigozhin was last seen just days ago, apparently in Africa. Wagner has a base in the poor Central African Republic and, as we reported, props up the government in exchange for diamonds and gold. After the uprising, Putin pardoned Prigozhin, offering him a deal to live in exile in Belarus. But many suspected it was not a genuine offer and that Putin was waiting for the right time to settle the score. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.